Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC+. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff, and as always, I'm joined by Andrew in Siberia. And Andrew, a little bit of a different time slot for us. Usually we record this in my morning and your evening, but today we're recording it in your morning and my evening. So a little bit confusing, but hey, ha, we're flexible, aren't we? Yeah, we can work with that. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Good to be on, guys. Um, and, uh, well, you know, being in Siberia as I am, I've got to deal with the ice and snow outside, which is making it a nightmare to drive on, but that's inconsequential. Did, did you change your winter tires? Uh, oh, I had ch- I changed them about a month ago. Um, I was one of the first <laughs> to change it, and uh, it was a good job I did, because there were quite a few car crashes this morning. But, what are uh, winter tires? Tim, you have to explain <laughs> that concept to me. I'm not used to that anymore. What are winter tires? You Vancouver people. <laughs> You Vancouver lot, just be quiet, will you? Temperature today was 15 degrees in sunshine. Just wanted to give you an update oh, on that. Just, just enough of that. Right, although they do expect snow on the weekend, although I think that's probably a lie. Uh, Tim, that must be a lie, right? It doesn't snow here, and especially not oh, in November. So. That must be just propaganda. Yeah, yeah, that's some kind of Russian propaganda from Siberia coming from Andrew, probably. <laughs> yeah. Sput- Sputnik News is reporting live from Vancouver. There is snow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, big day today on yesterday, of course, as well with the Champions League, Tim. And um, we'll get to your game in a moment. But uh, when we when you opened that call and I asked you how you were, like, oh, not so good. So um, I hope that we can do this part without too much of emotional distress. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> we'll try. We'll do our best as always. But let's dive right into these topics because we do have quite a bit to discuss today. And um, of course, the big topic is the Champions League. We like to do the big Champions League recap. Um, and I want to start with Group A and a group that... Didn't look great after match day three for uh, CSKA Moscow. And um, because they did lose to Basel um, 2-0 at home, a result that, you know, very poor result for them. Now, uh, they kind of turned the tables on them, haven't they, Tim, by going to Basel and really doing the unexpected and win there um, 2-1. 
Now, of course, they have lost the head-to-head, but yet at the same time, they're now even on points with the Swiss team. Yeah, that result made me very happy. Uh, I am one of those people who I, I like and generally support Russian teams, regardless of the fan of the favorite teams in in, in Europe. And uh, it's it was weird, you know. Remember me and you when we were on the pod uh, when we did one pod together. It was one of those uh, pre uh, qualifying um, uh, World Cup. Uh, and we spoke about Ukraine, and we spoke that you know then that. Uh, we usually win in a glorious manner and we lose in a glorious manner. And that was reminding me of that CSKA performance. It was it was really, you know, when, when really they repainted themselves in the corner, the situation was really, really tough for them. And um, they just they just showed the performance. I'm very excited for them. I'm very excited that Zagoyev is back and playing again and making the result. Uh, it's good for the national team. So congrats to them. I'm very excited. I'm just hoping that... Um, it's not that easy because they still have to go away to Manchester United, mm. and it's it's really tough. But um, they have a, a game against Benfica at home, so they have they have a chance. Yeah, Andrew, and I mean Tim with the keyword here, it's a goal. Scored a goal. Um, he is unfortunately made out of glass. He's hurt all the time, like literally yeah. all the time. We talked off pod uh, about Dennis Chechev. Um, just as if, uh, sorry about that, just as if, and, um, how he's hurt all the time. Sakov is, Sakov is pretty much the same. He's hurt all the time. He's such a brilliant player, but hurt all the mm. time. But he had a really good performance in this game, I thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he, he took his goal so brilliantly. I mean, he did, the thing is, he is made of glass, but he's made of world class glass, in my opinion. And yeah. I do mean world class because if that guy stayed fit, by now, he really would be one of the best creative midfielders in, I, I think, in Europe. Mm. And the problem is that the injuries have held him back, like you mentioned, endless hamstring injuries, and and it, it is a concern. But he took it really well. I wasn't, I, I wasn't expecting him to play such a big part in the game. I thought he might be given maybe 20, 30 minutes or so, but um, good to see him get some time on the pitch. And... Um, well, you know, that's what, that's what Tiska need, really, because they don't they don't really have an, an out-and-out goal scorer in the squad. And they haven't had, I would say, since Seydou Dumbia. Um, so to have the support from midfield, which which is where their biggest goal threat comes from, um, Vitinho is not, really, he's not really a goal scorer. He's a good player, and I think he serves a purpose in the side, but he's, he's never going to get you, um, you know, 10, 12, 15 goals of Russian Premier League season. Um, so great to see Zagorov. Um, come up with that. And there were a few other chances for, for Tiska, I thought. So um, I, I came out of the blue, though, that performance for me. Um, mm. So I played at home. And then suddenly to go away, I'd written off the group, basically. I'd really written it off. And I thought, Europa League at best. But but suddenly, suddenly, next game week, Benfica at home, already beaten them away. They're as good as out of it. Um, even for Europa League, they're gonna. I, I don't even know if they can get Europa League. If if Tesco gets uh, don't lose, then I think I believe that means Benfica are out. Mm. Basel could well drop points to Manchester United. They might not do because Manchester United might might rest a few players. But if they get a result, then suddenly Tesco is second with one game to go. And who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, that's that's exactly it. The the group is wide open. I do think though the. Um, the goal that they conceded, the fact that they won 2-1 in Switzerland and that uh, Basel have that 
crucial, crucial, crucial goal that makes a difference. Yeah. Um, head, head to head, head, head to head is because I can totally see them finishing the group on nine points each. Um, and yeah. that, that be heart wrenching, but it'd be so typical. And I think it would be deserved, right? And because like that performance in, in Moscow, that's where really where they might have lost the chance to advance from this group is because that performance in Moscow was a disgrace. And how dreadful they were. Yeah, it wasn't just like, okay, we lost. It was like the way they, they performed. It was just probably one of the worst performances of the team uh, in the season. Also, how they were poor against Manchester United. So, and it was a home game. So, the games which you have a chance. And, for example, the other Russian team, which is in, uh, in the Champions League right now, how they did at home in their two games. So, um they, you know, if they didn't didn't qualify uh, to the next phase, is they they're only the you know they can only blame uh, blame themselves. Uh, but still, the chance is there because we don't know, like you know, how Basel uh, Basel also showed that they have their their issues in, in that game. In um, yes, yeah, so, and they they have they Basel still has to play uh, the uh, Manchester United at home, so it's it's not that easy for Basel as well. So it's 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 not. It's not done deal, but CSKA still have a chance and good for them. Yeah, I think it will all come down, of course, um, to CSKA Moscow. They, I, I assume that Basel will drop points to Manchester United. Manchester United are, are done. They're through. Uh, no, they're sure their place in the Europa League. Now, Andrew, you are the Manchester United expert. You are a Red Devil fan. Um, you would pretty much consider that Mourinho is going to take every game serious until, you know, he got first place in the group? Well, yes. Um, although the way he's likely to go about it, I, I think I think he'd be more than happy with a draw in this game, um, simply because, firstly, mathematically, that's what he needs. Uh, and secondly, um, the yeah, Manchester United in recent weeks have not been... Um, not been at their fluid best. The beginning of the season in England, they were scoring goals for fun and the goals have dried up a little bit. Um, and yeah, he will definitely take it seriously. But I do think he's likely to probably rotate one or two players. He, he did that, um, uh, pardon me, he did that against Benfica uh, on, um, on Tuesday night and he brought in Scott McTominay, a youth player in midfield. Um, I think he might play one or two like that, but he'll still play a strong side. And I think I think it will be very, very likely that we'll see Basel, like you mentioned, drop points there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, he's not going to roll over. Certainly not. Um, he'll get the point, I think. If he wins, great. But I, I think a point is most likely here. So um, I, I see I Tiscar see going into the last game on nine points and uh, Basel on seven. That's how I see it shaping up for the last game week. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I, I love having these big finals and, you know, the, the final two match days are, um, November 22nd and December 5th or November 20, I guess, you know, around November 22nd and around December 5th. Uh, I'm very excited about that because I'm going to be over in Europe for that. So, um, I'm going to be able to see some of these games. I'm actually planning to see, um, accreditation permitting see Manchester United and Basel because it's not too far away from uh, where my parents live in Munich, um, which is going to be the first play, my first stopover uh, when I'm in Europe. So fingers crossed that works out. So I'm really curious to follow that match day um, quite closely. And I think, you know, that that's really going to be um, the big game 
you know, the Basel Manchester United game because I assume Benfica has been in my eyes an absolute utter disappointment in this group. Um, I'm always been a very big fan of Portuguese football. I know a lot of people don't rate it very much. I think that Benfica sporting in Porto. Uh, very big sites um, for a country that, as small as Portugal. They have really outperformed in pretty much forever. You know, Porto is one of those, uh, the last team, I believe, that have won the Champions League outside of the big countries. So, you know, that's that's um, a country that can really live and breathe football. But Benfica have been utterly disappointing in this group. So I, I expect that they will not do so well. And... Um, People that have been to Moscow in November know that's, that's not a fantastic place to play, isn't it, Andrew? I mean, we've been there in early November <laughs> for a game, and oh, it's yes. cold. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, you've got to remember as well, Manu, for that game, that's, um, that is Benfica's own, the only chance they have is of winning that game. So they're going to have, if they have any hopes or desire to get Europa League. Um, so they're going to be, you'd assume, they would be, um, attacking, which might end up playing into um, Cisco's hands, you know, leave him mm. slightly, slightly more open at the back. Zagorov hopefully stays fit. Um, so yeah, it's going to be tricky for them. Yeah, I think the the last thing we really need to talk before we move on to the next group is the the one concern that I have with Cisco, and there's something that we've talked up quite a bit about, is that they're very flaky. You know, we we see when you look at the the matches that they had going into this game. They beat Ufa 1-0, then they beat uh, Krasnodar 1-0. That's a good result. Then came that defeat to Basel, right? And then they host Zenit St. Petersburg, draw them 0-0, which is a great result. And then they go to Tula and they lose 1-0. <laughs> and then they do this in Basel. It's really up yeah. and down for them. And there's no consistency with that squad whatsoever. Now, you know... And given how, how many young players yeah. they have, uh, that, that, that is the... That's exactly actually where I wanted to go with this, um, Tim, because when you look at their squad age, it's very young. I mean, we've, the, the one tweet that we saw, of course, um, this week was that the Beresutsky twins now together, they have amazed, uh, 1000 games playing for CSKA, which is, by the way, an amazing achievement. Um, I guess here's to the next 1000, the way CSKA's defense is going. Um, I think that's probably <laughs> the next goal, <laughs> but they, the everyone, except for the Berezulski twins and Ignacevic, is very young. And they remind me a little bit of Leipzig that way. We have been also very flaky this season. It's it's young age, and it's really difficult to play in that really, that rhythm of weekend, midweek, weekend, right? And I think that's, Tim, where I see some of the, the weird results that you're getting with them right now. Absolutely, and like we talked numerous times on this pod about the how small the squad is, and including young players who just by the nature and the less of experience of of, of what the players players have, they cannot uh, perform consistently. That's why we have those flaky results, not consistency. But at the same time, the class is still there, and on the big games uh, when they. You know, I, I guess maybe it's the Russian character of, of them, but like in the big games when they get together uh, in Champions League against Zenit, uh, they can still perform that the game against Zenit was just a pure fight and they showed that they can fight. Same here, they 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 came back, they they, they did a good performance. So uh, it still shows that, the, you know, Ceska is one of the strongest club in the country. But uh, you're right, the, the number of... Um, 
young players just shows gives the cannot they cannot rely on those players in terms of complete mm. uh, top level performance consistent. Yeah. Yeah, maybe just to point out a couple of Shamaletinov has been of course um shown his talent already. Kukhaev is another one that uh, you pointed out, Andrew. So definitely worth keeping an eye on. And um, some really good talent actually coming through to that side, just not any defenders, which here's to the next 1,000, the next millennial for the Berezutsky twins. Um, but yeah, I want to move this on to the next group that we're focusing on. And that's the Group C with Karabakh and... Karabakh, Andrew, um, you know, we all thought that they would basically be the whipping boy in this group, you know, that everyone would just go to them or host them and just absolutely destroy them. And that, that thought process was a bit confirmed when they were absolutely annihilated on match day one by Chelsea, um, on, at Stamford Bridge. But, but in the first main game at home, they, they held Roma to a one, two draw, a uh, one, two loss. So very tight. And then a 0-0 draw to Atletico Madrid on match day two. And then they go to Spain and do a 1-1 draw. And they even went up. And, um, you know, I was talking, we were talking about ahead of this group that um, Karabakh are not going to be a team that's going to advance from this group. You know, yes, they're only one point behind Atletico Madrid. Um, but there's, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that they will get anything from this group, but they are the team that can make the difference of who of those three teams is going to advance. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, I mean, the, the nil nil at home to Atletico was, I'm not going to say expected it, but I thought that they would get some change out of some of their home games. The Roma game, like you mentioned, that was a, a very promising start. I don't think, yeah, like you say, Karabakh will have no realistic hopes and wouldn't have had at the beginning of the season, certainly, of, of actually progressing from the group. So at least giving a good account of themselves is genuinely, and it's not being patronising, but it's just the, the truth that that would be a, a decent campaign. Um, but the draw away to Atletico Madrid, that really has that really has shaken things up. You know, that that is going to be the game. The Karabakh at home has got to be the game that all of the other three teams must have looked at at the beginning of the group and thought, that's where we're going to absolutely nail some points um, onto the board. Atletico should be right now on five points and they should be thinking, right, OK, we've got um, <clears throat> we've got to face uh, Chelsea in the last game away. That's going to be tricky, but they'd be within touching distance now. Um, you'd have to say it looks like um, Atletico Madrid are in serious trouble. Um, okay, Roma at home, obviously, absolutely essential that they win that one. Um, but then they've still got to they've still got to go to Chelsea away. So Chelsea are having a few problems recently, um, admittedly, but they're they're an excellent squad um, and a good manager with Antonio Conte. So. Um, Karabakh really are, yeah, putting catamounts and pigeons in this group, and I'm I'm delighted for them. I, I can't say I know a lot about a lot of their team, other than Ramil Shredayev, um, ex Zenit youth player, and scored against um, your country, Manu, not long ago. Um, so he must be pretty good, um, and <laughs> it, and he can't even he can't even get in the side every game. So that is at least a statement of their quality. Great, good for them. Um, and Atletico, Christ, finalists twice in the last five years, and yet they might not make it through to the knockout stages. Incredible. 
Oh, there's a few of those that are putting a little bit of shame of the, on themselves. I'm looking at the yellow and blacks in the corner over there, but that's a different story, a different pot. But yeah, Tim, I mean, that, that was something, remember when we did the big preview show that we said, well, Karbach, you know, they have to watch it, especially going there. That was always going to be a difficult proposition because it's such a long trip. I, I've done the flight to the, to the South Caucasus from Central Europe and it's a four and a half hour flight. Granted, they have luxury planes and all that and they, they don't do the time switch, right? Because it's a different time zone. But it's a long trip and, um, it does take something out of you. And, you know, it's, if you're not from North America where you're used to this kind of stuff, that is something that's difficult. So I could even see someone like Chelsea going to, to, uh, Baku in, on November 22nd and say, Oh, this is not easy. And I predicted that Karabakh will take three points in this group and I'm pretty close. And I think that could be the next point. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have a really interesting group there. Yeah, good for them. I was uh, I was uh, not like you. I was extremely pessimistic on Karabakh because I thought there's three uh, pretty much top level teams versus one team which is a big debutant from the country which has never been in the uh, Champions League. I was very very pessimistic. Even given the long travel, I thought that uh, Atletico Madrid, such an experienced club, which um, like uh, Andrew mentioned, uh, two time Champions League finals in the recent years, um, might have issues but still get three points. And um, to be Quite honest, I'm, I'm a big fan of Atletico Madrid. I like yeah. I like Diego Simeone. I like those clubs which defend and play passionately. This is this is my football. This is the football I like. And to be quite honest, I was very disappointed. I want to see Atletico Madrid in uh, to progress to playoff. We need clubs like them in uh, Champions League, not in Europa League. Um, but also one thing which I want to discuss is uh, Thomas Partey goal. Even if it wasn't a decisive goal and just didn't really do much for Atletico Madrid, but what a strike, huh, guys? Yeah, absolutely. No, I 100% agree, but um, <laughs> a necessary goal. Um, I do also want to discuss not just the goal, but did you see what uh, Gabi said to the media afterwards? And I, 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 I can we say that on on the podcast? He said, <laughs> I think it is ranked as explicit, but <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should be okay. Yeah, he said the Europa League would be shit. So <laughs> and I agree, I agree because at Atletico Madrid, this is a big club. This is the club which we need to see in the top uh, stages of Champions League, and really, um, yeah, like they already won the the Europa League like so yeah yeah but you know uh, what it's an odd Champions League season we have potentially five English teams in the next round like who would have thought that, that that's a fluke or, <laughs> that's already a fluke and then <laughs> we have the we have the majority of German teams uh, going uh, out uh, <laughs> I'm pretty I'm sure. I'm not rising to your bait. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'll be all rectified in the round of 16. I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, but yeah, it has been a little bit of an odd, odd season. I mean, we have seen a lot of really odd results, and um, this one completely aside, I personally, I, I really hope that, and this is not because I, I, it's an anti-English bias, because it's just hope that Karabakh take points from Chelsea. And that Atletico beat Roma because, boy, uh, then we have, then we have a really interesting scenario because then we have Roma and Chelsea on eight and Atletico on six going into the last match day. Now that's a lottery and, uh, that's what yeah. I would like to see. Um, you know, have a really wide yeah. open group, some drama because then Chelsea against Atletico will be pretty much a final. So that's, that's my hope for 
for Group C. And in my opinion, Karabakh have done their job. You know, we all oh, knew, yeah. we all knew they wouldn't advance, but they were not a pushover. And that's great. I think that's really good for them that they said, okay, well, we know we're not going to advance, but we can make life for those big boys hell. And they did so far. They have they done their job. So good for them. I, I, I think that's, that's a really, really big achievement for, you know, a side that's playing their first ever, uh, Champions League season. So yeah, I, I think that's, that's fantastic stuff. But uh, guys, quick question for you, Ilmano, what we said, uh, just your opinion as football fans, as food, football journalists, uh, we have an odd Champions League season and some teams might not make it and some mm -hmm. surprise um, teams will, might be in the play, playoffs. Do you like it or not? And before you answer, I say that I'm, I'm completely lost on that because I like surprises, but at the same time, I want to see the best clubs in the final stages of Champions League. So, Mano, Andrew, like, what do you think? Like, do you like this? This, you know, this little bit of unexpected results? Or, like, what's your opinion on that? Um, yeah, I, to be honest with you, Tim, I mean, I, I like a bit of both. I actually agree with you um, that we, you do want to see the, the best teams in there. And when I say best teams... I mean the teams like Atletico Madrid for the same reasons that you mentioned. I, I can't stand the criticism that teams that play inherently defensive football, but intelligent defensive football, I just can't stand it because why should everybody play attacking football just so the teams with the best attacks can win? Because they will ultimately win out in that. You, you, you win football by, by playing better than the opposition, not by playing better at their type of football. So however the best teams go through, I want the best teams in there. But the shocks are there too. You know what I'm most happy about is this, that teams like Karabakh, unless they're given hope, what's the point of them entering any yeah. European football ever? Yeah. They might not win the European Cup ever, but they might become good European challengers. Unless they have results like this, their hope will be crushed every year. And and I don't want to see that, so I'm happy for I'm happy on both respects. I think there's a bit of a worrying trend. The fact that five English teams were permitted in this Champions League is already one too many, in my opinion. We can't have um, too many teams from one country. And I would have said the same about yep. Spanish or German sides. I think five from one country is too much. Um, I think that's, that's very unfortunate. And, um, I think they, we're seeing a lot of the surprises because of the teams that Germany has sent to this competition. And I, I'm looking mostly at Hoffenheim and Leipzig. I think what's happening to Dortmund can happen in a group of Tottenham and Real Madrid. I, I mean, they are all over the place right now and they're in a bit of a transition year with a new coach and that, although you can get away with that in the league, in the Champions League, you can't, but that can happen. But it's the other two, Leipzig and Hoffenheim, you know, were completely new teams. Um, I saw a crazy statistic. Only Spain has sent more different teams to the Champions League than, than Germany has. And, uh, Spain has sent 13 and Germany has sent 12. And that's, um, this year we have sent two new teams that have never played there before. And, you know, two teams that have a very young history and it's showing in this competition. And that's, that's opening the door for a little bit more surprises. And I think the, there is a bit of my worry is the five English teams in the Champions League, uh, quarterfinal. Now we'll, we could have a quarterfinal uh, in round of 16, of course, with the five teams. I and mean, we could have a quarterfinal with the five teams as well. And then that's boring. We, d we don't, we're not playing FA Cup, you know. And again, I would say the same with Spain. I, I didn't, I didn't like it when it's just Spanish teams either. I always cringe a little bit too when it's two teams from one country playing in the final. Um, I'm not a fan of that either, to be honest. So 
it's it's supposed to be an international competition and i think the when you look at it um there is the, the there is surprises but it's not the good kind of surprises and in my opinion it's um it's worrying and i think it's something that maybe next season uh something to look at uh let's see how it goes next year i expect that germany will send schalke and bayer leverkusen um at least one of those two will make it and they have always been very consistent Leipzig will probably make it again and then have show a very different picture than this year. And Dortmund likely will show a very different picture too. But, um, it's the, the, the current picture isn't great. And, um, you don't want, you want, it's okay for one country to dominate. Spain has done it for 20 years now, but you don't want to have a dominance where you have basically a national, um, FA cup. And that's something that, you know, I hope it's to be avoided, but, um, yeah, that's that's completely you know, a little bit of a side topic. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Boys, um, Tim, speaking oh. of surprises, your side pulled off a surprise on match day three and then went to Spain. Um, and I wouldn't say it was a horrible result. I mean, you lost 2-1 against Sevilla in Sevilla. Pulled one back late, uh, say Luis. You still got the head to head, but you're two points behind Sevilla now in the standings in Group E. Liverpool are first with eight. Sevilla have seven. Uh, Spartak Moscow have five. Now, talk to us, Tim. You just watched this game. I know you watched it late because of work. Uh, what are your feelings on this? Yeah, actually, I'm very fresh of the game because, like, uh, the listeners obviously don't know that, but, like, uh, because of time difference, the games are played usually at 11.45 or 12.45, like, a.m., like, in the in the morning, and I'm usually busy at work. So, for the previous match days, I, I um, sneaked out from work and uh, took a day off and watched the game. Uh, this time, they were not showing it on Canadian TV, so I had it just to... Uh, download the game and then watch it and I just virtually finished the game before we started the pod so I'm still fresh of the emotions and um, there is the game kind of went like I expected I didn't really uh, on the previous pod I predicted that we will lose and we lost unfortunately my prediction was correct but I was pretty I don't say I was disappointed with Spartak's performance because this is what I expected I expected us to defend a lot because obviously Sevilla was full of revenge and uh, they played at home but um, we defended pretty good really I am obviously biased and I have a very positive outlook but to be quite honest there was a uh, one good chance in the very beginning of the game by Sevilla then they scored from the corner, and then they scored a, a wonder goal. They had the possession, but in terms of chances, I didn't see this. See, really had too many chances. We didn't have chances as well, but uh, those last ten, uh, sorry, yeah, ten minutes gave me so much hope because it was. It looked like it was. It could have been because, like you know, one goal could have been. You know, you can get one goal from anywhere. And that's why it was like, it, it wasn't even the whole performance. It was those last 10 minutes, which really, really 
kind of you know got me disappointed because I was so hopeful. It looked so positive after the Luis goal scored, but um, yeah, um, I'm yeah I'm still emotional from that. <sighs> That's okay, Tim. Thankfully. We have someone who is a bit more neutral when it comes to Spartak Moscow. Well, Andrew, how did you see this game? Yeah, I, I share a lot of Tim's sentiments. Um, it's, it's to be expected that Spartak would be uh, a lot more cautious um, and defensive. Although I would point out as well that the first goal in particular was just, in my view, just dreadful dreadful marking it wasn't like um Spartak were completely undone and you know you leave a guy on the edge of a six yard box he's gonna he's gonna put a corner in the back of a net um and if that marking had been more up to scratch okay the the second severe goal was just sublime finish it was brilliant but the first goal was avoidable and that I think is in a weird way a positive because if it was a case of the team just crumbling and being picked apart then it would be more concerning but um, you know, you, you fought Zeluish back scoring. That's a positive as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the result is disappointing. No, no defeat can be a positive um, result. But you look at the group, and there's still a chance of going through. Um, it's you know, Maribor at home. That's, that's got to be uh, got to be points there. Liverpool hopefully can um, take points off Sevilla, and then and then you're right back in the mix again. So. Um, But for last night, I'd say, unfortunately, it was about how you'd expect it to have gone. Um, but the performance, I thought, was encouraging. Yeah, maybe to just back this up with a few statistics, Andrew. Um, I, you know, the ball possession, of course, Sevilla dominated that. Um, although we rapidly are learning that that doesn't mean anything, right, Tim? Um, but yeah. when you look at total shots, it was actually 12 to 12. And, uh, you know, passes Sevilla is slightly dominating that as Spanish teams usually do but you know duels won that's even aerial duels won uh fouls committed Spartak was slightly ahead with that but all all over when you look at the statistics um it wasn't a game you know where one team dominated the other And that's, um, I think, you know, when you go to Spain, any side that's going to Spain, no matter who the team is, I think they're always going to, it's always going to be a, a difficult, you know, no matter what. So, you know, the result, yes, not great, but I think, and this is really the key for me is that Spartak have the head to head, you know, and that's, yeah. that could be very decisive. I, I fully expect that Spartak will beat Maribor at home. That will put them to eight points and, um, Sevilla are hosting Liverpool, right? So Liverpool looked good the last two match days. We had Chris Williams at Anfield, um, I guess last night here in Europe, uh, tonight for us. And, you know, he covered the game for Football Grad. Um, the match report will be out by the time everyone in Europe wakes up. So it'll be out by the time this pod is out. And the, uh, the minute by minute report is on there as well. So if you want to back read that, that's all on there. But, you know, the Liverpool result, um, means that Liverpool are on the driving seat, but at the same time, they still need to beat Sevilla to get that, that first spot, right? Because they're only a point apart. So if Liverpool beat them, then Spartak will leapfrog, uh, Sevilla again. And if Liverpool beats Sevilla, Liverpool will go through. And they, that final match, all of a sudden, in Liverpool on December 6th at Anfield 
is getting a completely different is completely different, right? Because Liverpool don't have to win it, and Spartak might just need a result and um, to advance. So, Tim, what do you think? What are you hopeful um, of how this goes, or do we really have to really wait about what happens on match day five? I think we have to because, uh, like I've noticed, uh, I mentioned that a couple of times uh, that uh, you know we have this tendency that uh, everything should be in our way. We tend to make massive mistakes, and actually, I'm more worried of the game at home against Maribor than the games away against Liverpool. Uh, but to be quite honest, I'm hopeful. Uh, what Andrew said, uh, I it it wasn't the and like you actually both guys said that that it wasn't a great result, but the performance was encouraging. There was a little bit um, like I enjoyed that. Uh, Zaluish came back. He made a difference, in my opinion. When he came on, he was the guy who was, again, was winning those uh, second balls and first balls. And he was the, the person who really, really um, added this attacking strength in, in into Spartak. So I think things are going well. In, in the league, we're doing not that bad. Uh, we recovered from that horrendous start which the team had. So I would say I'm actually hopeful I still think that we deserve to be in Europa League, to be quite honest, if we compare all the teams. But I'm hopeful. I really hope we, like exactly what you described, if this scenario works out for us, fosh, I'll be happy. Yeah, no. And then, then there's, of course, the other scenario, Andrew. Dare to say it, Sevilla beat Liverpool. Oh. Spartak beat Maribor. Now, then all of a sudden... We have a decisive match. Well, we got... Uh, Sevilla on 10. We got Liverpool on 8 and we got Spartak yeah. on 8. And, uh, Spartak got a result at, um, what was it? 1-1. One, one. One, one draw, right? How would it work, guys? Is it the, if it's tie, if it's 2-2 two, two tie, how, how, or 0-0 zero, zero tie, how would it work? Well, 2-2 two, yeah. two would put them ahead on head to head, wouldn't it? Um, but 0-0. Zero, so zero, yeah. A nil nil would be Liverpool, yeah. But Liverpool um, would have to. I don't think Liverpool can play for a zero zero. Yeah, Spartak as well. <laughs> so well, I, precisely. That, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's um, the only way I can see that result coming is if, if if it does come down to well, like you say, a playoff for Champions League, effectively. So winner takes all. Um, obviously, win for either side would be fine. But the the other results, so if a level on eight points. Um, if basically they're just both too nervous, that's the only way I can see a nil-nil coming coming from that game. Um, well, you know, Manny, you've alluded to this already on when we've been talking about other groups so far in this pod. Those are the sort of games that I want to see yeah. when it gets to the last round of group games. There's nothing worse than a dead rubber group game or dead rubber last two group games, which has been the case before. Um, and quite a lot of groups, and this one in particular, certainly potentially anyway, shaping up that way and can you imagine that atmosphere the famous night that Spartak and Liverpool have already had together um, but Spartak away in Europe this is a genuine new ground for Spartak for, for some time to get to knockout stages like this um, the pressure on Liverpool there'll be a hell of a lot of pressure on them um, and, and rightly so they should be getting through um, this group but that sort of atmosphere that game that could be that could be something else so yeah, this is going to be quite quite some finish to to Group E, I think. Yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I'm I'm in Europe, and I may have to change my travel plans a little bit. Um, hmm. You know, race over there and 
crash on Chris Williams' couch and take away his match press pass. Nah, he wouldn't do that. Maybe. Maybe. Boss is privilege. Chris, don't listen to this pod. You're fine. <laughs> I wouldn't and, take and that I'm, away And I'm you. happy with that because I know who you will be supporting. <laughs> well, well Tim, I've always loved Spartak. I love their style of play when they play away in England and it just so happens to be against Liverpool. It's just coincidence. <laughs> well, we'll see. I think, you know, it doesn't really matter how it plays out. I think there will be a, a final in that group on December 6th. And that's really exciting. It's really good for us because um, we will have someone in that stadium, uh, likely to be Chris William. And um, that's always good, you know, good fun to cover those games and uh, have Champions League action on the ground. So, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to the coverage, preparing the coverage. You know, one of the f- funnest things... Um, running the football guard network is putting together the plans and seeing them come to fruition this week was a great example you know when when chris delivers the a fantastic match report on the celtic game and he's sending over the pictures and we have him on instagram and all that it's really seeing it all come together so that's really something that i get a lot of joy of when you know when i do that plan and i draw it up and i see it all come together and see the, the excitement that it generates um that's that's just fantastic so i'm really looking forward to you know really coming creating those plans and creating some of the special things that we could come up with instagram stories twitter etc so we'll think of something really special for this one guys and um when the big day comes we'll have something really fantastic of course this is right after german saint nicholas um so um nice little present for all our readers and listeners, uh, promise that right there. But boys, we have to leave Spartak alone and, uh, Liverpool and move over to Group F. And this is actually Group F is, that's something that's excited me quite a bit. Um, Schachter Donetsk are on the verge of qualifying for the round of 16. And we talked about surprises and I oh, dreamed that this could happen. But I thought that Napoli, Manchester City and Feyenoord is too tough of a group. Wouldn't have been too tough of a group for Schachter Donetsk three, four years ago when they really were at the peak. But I just was wondering, you know, after not playing the Champions League last year, maybe that would have, that group would be a step too much for them. But, but boys, Andrew, they're one point away from clinching second place and even better. They can still finish first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 fantastic. I mean, we the the importance of I mean, just just for a second, broadening this, um, the importance of European competition for me is the fact it's European. You mentioned about we don't want. I, I agree with you. We don't want five teams from one country. Personally, I think four teams from one country. It's just my opinion. I think four teams is too many. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, that's another that's yeah. that's another kettle of fish. But the point is, it's a European competition. And Shakhtar represent a very powerful historical um, region that often gets um, overlooked. And of course, being the Football Grad podcast, this is what we, what we focus on. Um, to see them six points clear of Napoli, I honestly thought Napoli would win this group and, and Manchester City would be challenging them but would end up second. Um, to see them six points clear of Napoli is is just remarkable. Um, now, the next match day, it plays into the hands of, of City and Napoli. And 
Now, if I'm being brutally honest, I don't think Shakhtar are going to get, certainly not get three points. A win, um, well, I say it's not necessary, just a point is enough. Could they get a point? Well, I mean, last night, um, watching, uh, I mean, I didn't watch the whole game. I've seen a few highlights. Manchester City just tear them apart. And Manchester City are, without question, the most potent English side at the moment. They just have goals from everywhere. Um, you know, they they really tore Napoli to, part, uh, to pieces. So they are they potentially are there for the taking, but... I don't. I don't quite see it happening. If anything, I'm going to be slightly pessimistic. I think Napoli probably will win um, and bring it back to within three points. But coming down to that last group game, if that happens, by that stage, Manchester City will already have qualified. So to them, it won't matter. The last, well, I say it won't matter. They won't risk their all of their top stars. So visiting Ukraine, then there's a chance for Shakhtar to get that point that they need. Um, so. To, to not even necessarily need a point on match day five to still qualify, I think is remarkable. Um, and, and that's how I see it panning out. Yeah, I'm not so sure because Napoli, I have not been that impressed by them. And Schachter looked, we had we had John McKenzie, you know, we had him on the podcast after match day one to to talk about, about Schachter and his experience at the, the Etihad. And... He really impressed on us how good Shakhtar Donetsk were. Now, you know, Andrew, that I know Shakhtar Donetsk quite closely. You know, I have, I have connections with the club. Um, I had <laughs> an experience of the third kind with their former manager in, uh, in Florida of all places. So, you know, it's, it's a team that's, that I've been following for a very long time. Actually, since we started Football Grad, um, five years ago. So I think, you know, they they play a certain style of football that when they're really on, they're very hard to beat. And, you know, City won this game when Sterling scored in the 90th minute and made it 2-0. Up to that point, Schachter could have walked with a, could have walked away with a result in England. That's how good they are. And I don't, you know, I don't think, you know, that they will be without a chance in Italy either. And remember, they only need one point. And Paulo Fonseca is one of the most talented coaches out there in European football right now. There's a reason why clubs are coming in left, right and center for him, trying to sign him, right? We talked about Everton last week trying to get him. And that's because he is a really good coach and he's an experienced coach. And I think there's a good chance that they're going to go to Italy, get a 1-1 draw and say, <laughs> ciao bene, right? And kick, the, kick Napoli out and... Well, that's football. And it's, it's also great because we want, we want to see the Shachter Donets of this world advancing to the next group and, uh, the next stage of this ter tournament, just so that we get a little bit of diversity. But, you know, even if that doesn't happen, I wouldn't hold it against Fair not to get a result and against Napoli at the De Coupe. Um, that's a very, the Coupe is a very difficult place to play. Um, as you guys know, I lived in Holland for a year and, it's Rotterdam is one of those places where you just don't want to go. And at that point they will have a point to prove because they were been so abysmal. Right. So I, th I really think that Schachter can pull this off and it'd be so great. I mean, Tim, you often talk about all the Ukrainian friends that you play football with, but this would be an amazing occasion for them, wouldn't it? 
Absolutely, yeah. I'm very excited for Shakhtar, and I'm glad to see any Ukrainian team in the actual in the playoffs of uh, Champions League and um, obviously Football Grad. We all support them, uh, but at the same time, I don't really share your uh, optimism, and not because I think down of Shakhtar. I just think it's not that easy to go away to Napoli when they are faced uh, like uh, like they painted themselves in the corner, and then playing against Manchester City. It's it's not that easy. I hope they will make it, but I still uh, there's a lot work to be done, uh, in my opinion. So I hope they make it, but it's it doesn't sound that 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 easy to me. But if they make it, that's gonna be great. Like after like what's happening in their own region, in their country, like you know, we just want to like you know just neutrals, even neutrals or you know football grad people, we want Shakhtar Tadjansk to play uh, to, to play in Champions League. They deserve that. And the the, the previous results where they shown in this group, they definitely um, at least based on the first four games, they deserve it more than Napoli. Yeah, I, I definitely would go along with that. I mean, they were almost perfect. Um, nine points, it'd be bitter for them to go out. Of course, um, they may not have to get any points because even a, a defeat could see them go through, depending on the head-to-head. So we'll we'll wait and see, see what happens there. And, um, you know, the last two match days, that's another group where we're going to have a final, um, which is also great. Uh, December 6th, Kharkiv. That could be the other route I'm taking, maybe instead of flying to England and taking away Chris's match pass pass. I'll go to Kharkiv and watch that game instead. Although Kharkiv in December, that's cold, man. Tim, that's really cold. <laughs> you know how cold that is? That's like cold, like Manu. Andrew cold. <laughs> Manu, 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 Manu. You talk about cold in December. Come to your Katzenberg, 11th of December for Arsenal Tula. Now that, oh, that will be cold. And the game against Arsenal Tula. Outside, how are we supposed to do a match report when our fingers are frozen off? <laughs> well, actually, no. That's that's the genius of it. It's it's going to be so cold. They've already requested to play it in the indoor arena in Yekaterinburg. So don't worry. Stick to Kharkiv. You'll be fine. <laughs> then my fingers <laughs> are gonna freeze up. Well, we'll see. Football grad on tour. It's going to going down in two weeks. So we'll see uh, what I'm gonna do December sixth. I also saw a game in Paris. So maybe I'll go there instead. But that's a different story, guys. Um, I want to shift our attention over to the Russian national team. And we have made a lot of fun of Russia for the odd choices of teams that they have selected to play against in, you know, recent months. Uh, I, I recall, I recall a friendly against Dinamo Moscow, but thankfully they found two opponents um, that uh, have an enormous pedigree for their friendlies that are coming up next week. And the first game is, of course, Argentina. Andrew, how happy are you that Argentina qualified straight for the World Cup and didn't ruin oh, your date in Moscow? Absolutely delighted. I mean, I'm delighted. We, we mentioned this before. I'm delighted on a number of levels because it's, I mean, one, just to, to, to see Argentina, um, to see a top-class side is going to be fantastic. I'm still I'm still waiting on reply from the Russian Football Union for accreditation, but I'm I'm relatively confident that that will come through. Having spoken to them, so being in the stadium to watch them and being in the Luzhniki as well, being mm. in the Luzhniki, the remodeled Luzhniki um, for the first time 
well, the first time with a game press have, have gone in to take pictures and people may have seen images of that around the internet, but to actually be there against Argent- against Argentina in the, the stadium where the World Cup final is going to be held um, and a real, real test for um, the biggest test that the Russian national team will have had um, since, well, since last summer. Um, I think it's going to be... It's going to be interesting to see how Chichesov, um motivates the side and what sort of side he puts out. Now, the, the squad selection for these games, um, I mostly agree with, but there are one or two elements that I find I find perplexing, if I'm honest. Um, now, we mentioned this off, um, off pod, but um, for example, uh, look at the goalkeeper situation. Igor Akinfev, of course, is nailed on. He's a Russian legend. He's broken records for clean sheets. But then you've got the young up-and-coming keepers, and there are so many of them. Um, Lunyov, uh, Zanit, okay, I say young, I'm in goalkeeper terms at least, at 25, he's in the squad. But then Vladimir Gabrilov, 34-year-old, why on earth waste that place in the squad when somebody like Alexander Selikov, um, Kritsyuk, um, or... Um, uh, you know, any, almost anybody else could be given a game. But anyhow, we'll have to wait and see. But Argentina... What a what an opponent to kick off the international break. Yeah, well, Tim, you enlightened us, and I, I never I didn't make this 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 discovery, and although I should have. Of course, Cherchesov and Gabulov, they come from the same area, um, and probably decided the, the selection over a nice bowl of kasha soup, eating <laughs> some kachapuri with their shashlik talking about Ossetian mountain life, hey? Because <laughs> we were discussing how they're both from Ossetia and uh, that's pretty much just a little bit of, um, you know, brotherhood here, Ossetian brotherhood, how how Gabulov keeps ca- caught up to this team. That's that's something, you know, um, we have to view very critical because you have someone like Mitrushkin who's playing very well in, in Switzerland. Um, is a young up-and-coming keeper. He's 21 is scouted by all these big European clubs. And then you have 34-year-old Gabulov playing a goal because, you know, uh, Chechesov and him happen to share the same choices for Cuisine. Um, bit doubtful, the entire thing, isn't it? I completely agree with you, Mano. We talked about this a little bit off the pod, and I just can I just don't understand uh, what is the purpose of having... Um, Gabulov in the squad, when you have players like Mitryushkin, when you have Kritsuk, when you have Selikov, the players who are young and who uh, once uh, um, Akinhev retires, who can be one of those goalies who would be uh, competing for the number one's position in goal. Uh, give them a chance, take them to the big tournament, give them that experience uh, because that, that, that is a massive experience for any player even if you're sitting on the bench as a third goalie just being part of the squad, being part of this excitement of this massive uh, footballing experience you I, I don't get like the way uh, Cherchesov he never actually gave um, a convincing response why Gabulov is on the team he said why should not I he, his response was why was is why should I not take a goalkeeper who does a good job well there's so many goal, good goalkeepers who are doing a good job um, I, I really don't get it, and uh, you're absolutely right. Like uh, they are from the same area. I'm pretty sure that um, 
they've worked together in Dynamo Moscow. Um, it's 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 just a British connection, some like a kind of friendship connection. I don't think Gabulov gives gives too much experience, or he he never been an outspoken person in terms of being leader in the in the dressing room. I don't think he he gives that. For example, like Pepe Reina in the uh, Spain squad when he was a number three goalie, everyone said he wasn't gonna be playing, but he creates this the good atmosphere in the dressing room. Gabulov is not one of those people, so it's a very questionable choice uh, given how many good up-and-coming young goalkeepers Russia has. So that's, uh, as much as I support uh, Chirchesov, and he is a former Spartak man, I like everything what he does with the national team. This is a quest, something that we have to question. <laughs> Ossetian Mafia, man, I tell you. Yeah. One day I'm going to write a book. Uh, I'm going to lay it all open. But uh, if, I, if I do it now, I'm a, a, you know, can't tell too much. Not on air, anyways. But, boys... Um, questionable, questionable selections aside, Anton Schwetz, uh, is really, you know, something uh, quickly we need to touch on. Fascinating player. Born in Ukraine, comes through, uh, Dynamo Tbilisi's youth side, actually in Georgia, went to Spain at a young age to play there. Um, really interesting player, Andrew. We chatted a bit about him off, off air and, you know, someone who could, you know, yes, he's already 24, but has had a, bit of an impact this season playing for Ahmad Krosny and you know really fascinating player to look at um, when it comes to the the Russian national team and I think there's a few of them um, he might not get it right with goalkeepers but he's bringing in a few players like him into the side right now which I think is really positive yeah absolutely um, and this is this is largely why I'm supportive of Chichesov because he's actually making these sort of decisions which They might seem fairly clear and obvious on, in, in one sense to people like us because we're interested to see and we know the value of having um, these players in the squad. But previous Russian managers just simply haven't done that. Um, I mean, you look, look at the ages. You mentioned 24, not 20, not 1920. Yeah. Kuzhaev, 24. Um, okay, he's obviously been injured for a while, but he's 23 and he's only got nine caps. You know, players like this, Not, I'm not trying to push too much but when you consider that there are what about say 10 international fixtures on average a year eight to ten a year um by the age of 24 you should be either regular in the side or you know playing a bit yeah. more and a lot of these guys don't have enough caps schwetz has earned his place in the side now the point another point i'd make about anton schwetz being picked is a lot a lot of attention has been um, given in the media, social media, about um, Igor Denisov not being called up. Thank and, God. And I, and, and I, I mean, I, I have two opinions. This on form, he should be in the squad. Just on form, he has yeah, been he's brilliant. Old, but Andrew, he's, he's old. Um, well, it's it's not so much about that man. It's more about the fact that his character is clearly very divisive. Um, and we all know about how he called Chichester a clown when he was at yeah. Dynamo Moscow for various team selections. And that, you see, that's the thing for me. Young players coming in, they or, or just simply players who have a point to prove, maybe don't have many caps, they are going to fit into an atmosphere, I, I believe, much more healthily than characters like Denisov. Um, and I think character is going to be the one most important um, feature of the Russian squad in the run-up to and including yeah. the World Cup because it's something that's been lacking in recent years. So uh, for that reason alone, I'm delighted that Schwetz is in there. So I, I think it's a overall, it's a positive squad. 
You know, Andrew, um, before we go to our last point, this is, this is me, what I want to say about this. I think in the past there was a, a huge age divide. The side was lacking the players in the bracket between 20 and 25. And now he's brought in a whole bunch. Kuzaev, Miranchuk, Schwetz, the two Miranchuk brothers actually. Golovin is in the squad. Um, players like Sabolotny and Polos, you know, they're 26. That's, that's the kind of players you want to, to have as the spine of your team. And I, I felt, um, there was an age imbalance in the side in the past and he's, he's fixed that. So I, I like that he's calling up players like him and players who have shown that they can play. And Denisov would create an enormous age imbalance at this point. But, um, Tim, before we wrap this up, final point, you figured, pointed this out. Argentina against Nigeria in Krasnodar? Yeah. Oh, I, I'm so mad about this. Uh, to me, this is just outrageous. This is just shows the state which Russian football management and Russian everything. I'm so mad about this. So you inviting to play two good teams, one of the best African teams, one of the best South American teams, to play in Russia six months before the World Cup starts. And you're not testing the stadium, which will be part of this World Cup. Because we all understand that World Cup is an organi- it is not just that 22 people play in one ball. It is security. It is um, uh, it is food. It is transportation. It is it is it is so many. It's, it's airports, hotels. You have to test those new stadiums. What's happening in Russia right now? They're building how many? 14 stadiums or something like that. There's only four stadiums which had football games um, hosted before. When you will have the World Cup, you will have sold out games where the people will be coming and it will be it will miss again. Like uh, it's, it's, it's security issues, uh, transportation, parking, all that stuff. And you're not testing uh, stadiums which will be participating in the World Cup. To me, this is just outrageous. And what actually made me mad is that Mutko, he sells it to the public as Oh, we're making this um, this celebration of football for Russian fans because they have such a great fans in Krasnodar. If you have such a great fans in Krasnodar, give them the World Cup. Yeah. Don't make a. Ugh, I'm so mad about this situation. This is outrageous. This is this is ridiculous. Give the the Krasnodar the World Cup with the, one of the best stadiums in the country, or test the stadiums which will be going into the World Cup and actually try try to avoid those mistakes which will um, happen during the World Cup. I'm so mad about this. Yeah, Krasnodar not being a World Cup host city is um, you know one of the worst decisions of the entire thing. And yeah. you're right. I mean, like a lot of the stadiums won't be open, but there is a bunch that are already are open and they could have been tested. So yeah, Sochi Sochi Stadium has one football game per year. Yeah. Why not host a tournament there? And we all saw what happened. Andrew will be one of the people, the key people who saw that. What happened during the cup final when the locomotive fans were yeah. pretty much on the field? Like, why yeah, you don't test this? Yeah, no, yeah, no, you, no. yeah. I, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I, unfortunately, we're out of time, boys. <laughs> so, it, we will have to definitely discuss this and maybe let, that's a game that, you know, we have to keep an eye on and see how it goes. But I, you know, when, before we get started on Krasnodar and the, the selection or the lack of selection as a World Cup stadium, um, I think we have to really talk about this maybe before the international break because that's a topic entirely in itself. Um, as it is, unfortunately, out of time, but I guess we have a topic for next week. So, um, mm. you know, something to tune back into 
for for when this podcast comes out next Wednesday. But boys, what have you been up to, Andrew? You go first. Where can people find you? Um, what have you been up to? And yeah, whatever you want to plug, go ahead. Um, yeah, no, for more previews. Um, thanks, by the way, for covering me for the Spartak game and me doing the Loco game. But yeah, more more previews. And like we mentioned, because of all the cup finals and all the group stages. And uh, yeah, the only other thing I'd like to plug is the these Football Times magazine. Um, we've got a new edition coming out, Battle of the Number 10s, which is going to be a cracking issue. Um, so it's it's on sale now. So that's that's something I'm very proud of. So have a look at that too. Yeah, fantastic stuff as always. These footy times, definitely uh, a place worth going to for some good football articles and good reads. Um, Tim, what have you been up to? Uh, I have a big weekend coming up. It's my birthday and then also my band, which is called Russian Team and Pavel Bores. We are going to record two new super hits. Uh, we're going to the studio and I'll spend the whole weekend in the studio. So for me, this is the plan. And obviously coming back and watching Spartak play against Ufa, I believe we're playing at home. And this is also something that uh, I have to focus on, and I hope we will keep keep getting the points and moving forward in, in the Russian League. Yeah, definitely. That's something that we're going to discuss in great length next week. Well, I've been your host, uh, Manuel F. You can find me at Manuel F on Twitter. Uh, if, you, if you're into Bundesliga, Russian football, go give me a follow. Um, also, If you like this podcast and uh, you listen to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating, positive, negative. It really doesn't matter. We just would like to hear your feedback. It really helps us get better, improve, and um, spread the word really about the show. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Until next week, dos vidanya. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.